I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites. And my goodness, Walmart just reported how it did in the last quarter that covers a lot of the disruption from coronavirus. And the numbers are beyond imagination. I mean, Walmart has pivoted with huge numbers of new hire of employees and had a massive increase at walmart.com. The sales at walmart.com jumped 75%. Uh, I don't know there's another retailer of any size that has had numbers like this. Their overall sales up 10%, while most other retailers are just taking it on the chin with massive declines in revenue. And the thing that Walmart brought to the table was a couple of things. First, pricing. You know, the big advantage that Walmart has over Amazon is that Walmart's pricing is significantly cheaper generally. And Walmart has a very developed grocery operation that accounts for roughly half its sales. Walmart's grocery prices are generally around 20% cheaper than their competition in markets except for Aldi, which then is about another 20% cheaper than Walmart. But Walmart already had in place a delivery channel where the groceries were directly delivery delivered to your trunk, where you would go to a Walmart store and you could order online at walmart.com, order groceries and a lot of general merchandise, have a delivery pickup time, actually delivery pickup, a pickup time, and you just go to that area of the store and you let them know on your phone you're there and then they come and pop the groceries in your trunk. And we had never ordered groceries as a family from Walmart. We'd never bought groceries at a Walmart until we started doing either delivery or pickup. And we found that the pickup from Walmart was far, far more uh, accurate and the items were far more in inventory than when we tried to do delivery using one of the third-party delivery services. Actually, we use both of the third-party, big third-party delivery services. And so each week, we put together a walmart.com order and go pick it up. And the great advantage is that you can order outside of the food area a huge percent of the items sold in the store to be dropped in your trunk and it's free to do so. So Walmart has been able to execute this extremely well. And the spending per customer has gone up, per customer doing business with them has gone up 16% in the last 90 days. So people are doing more and more of their spending with Walmart. Amazon also has done very well through this time period with people staying at home, not necessarily wanting to go in stores. And so they both have benefited from 
the changes in the marketplace. But the reality is, ultimately, price is going to matter, which is why Costco has continued to do so well in spite of the challenge from Amazon with Costco having really not a big Costco.com online kind of thing, anything like the other players that have successfully competed with Amazon. And that's because ultimately for so many Americans, a big percent of Americans, price is a big determinant. And on that score, Walmart and Costco have a huge leg up on Amazon. So Walmart also, as I shared with you just a few weeks ago, now has uh, a delivery program that is 98 bucks a year for delivery of Walmart items to your home in a quick cycle. And we'll see how that actually performs over time in terms of being reliable. The last time Walmart tried a delivery membership, I tried it, and it was not, in that era, very reliable. So it'll be interesting to see if Walmart is able to be reliable this time with a delivery membership. We're answering questions that you post for me at clark.com slash ask. And producers Kim and Joel asked the questions. Kim, who's up first? Today, it is Janet from Florida. Janet says, as someone who lives in a rural area, I perk up every time I hear you say rural areas will soon have 5G broadband speeds within a year or two. I just don't understand how this will happen. What is the motive for for for-profit companies to install the high number of small cell phone towers that would be necessary for this to succeed? Okay, so my understanding of engineering is pathetic, but I'm going to do the best I can. 5G, the new 5G stands for fifth generation wireless. And 5G is almost more like a state of mind in a marketing term because 5G transmits at three different frequencies and three different speeds. So the way I've heard it described by people that are involved in 5G in a way that I can understand is you think of it like layers of a cake. So the first layer is a 5G frequency that widely spreads across the country. And that has been deployed very heavily by T-Mobile and Verizon is now in the process of widely distributing the widespread 5G. Now, the good of the widespread 5G, at least in the case of T-Mobile, it already blankets a huge percent of rural America. Uh, Verizon will get there probably later this year, AT&T trailing and having the wide dispersion 5G. That's the good of it, is that it will blanket rural America in, in big numbers this year. The bat, it is only um, moderately faster than what we've been used to with data on our cell phones. So it's not a true substitute for high-speed home internet, but it's much better than what people in rural America have had from satellite transmission 
of internet connections and it doesn't have the latency meaning that the response is really quick both from you seeking data and data coming back to you and so that is the initial wave then the next phase is what's called mid-band mid-band does not spread as far it does require more towers but gives you a much faster internet connection and then the third is what is the ultra-fast 5G that will only be made available at least for the next few years in tight, highly populated urban areas. So the first layer, having widespread 5G that you'll be able to buy home internet that typically is going to price out, like T-Mobile's pricing it at $50 a month, unlimited data, that is going to be the first wave and it will give you an improved experience but it won't be the nirvana that ultimately will come i hope that explanation made any sense at all joel clark phil in minnesota says what is the best investment method to take advantage of these low crude oil prices i believe the price of crude will triple in the next two years and i want to know what funds or stocks to buy Wow, this has been a hot play in the market. And generally, what you would look for is you'd look for an oil industry exchange traded fund. And so, if you were to go to Investopedia and you put in oil ETF, you'd be able to see an explanation of them. You could also go to the website of one of the discount brokers and search for oil and commodities ETFs and you'd see what ones are available, what the costs are of them. And now with the discount brokers that you pay no trading costs to buy and sell an exchange traded fund or even regular stocks, you buy in at no commission and you own them at very low management costs. They vary in how they work. There are worldwide ones. There are ones that are specifically geared towards uh, specific areas of the world like the U.S. oil industry. And just know that when you get to a specific industry and you buy in it, that the moves up and down are quite wild and you have to be prepared for those big movements in price. And so put money in the oil industry that is money that if you lost a big chunk of it, it would not come with enormous financial consequences. Now, oil has risen in price and is now at about uh, low 30s a barrel, uh, more or less. And that is not a high enough price per barrel of oil for most of the U.S. oil industry to break even. The prices will have to continue to rise in order for our industry to resume at anything, even a shadow of where it was 90 days ago. So it's going to be a slow recovery of the U.S. oil industry, not a fast one. And that's why a lot of people are investing in wider global or worldwide oil ETFs instead of U.S. only, which is a more risky play right now. Kim? 
Michael in Georgia says, I purchased four tickets for a summertime Rolling Stones concert. Now that the show has been indefinitely postponed, I'm trying to get my money back and I'm getting nothing but deaf ears. It seems unreasonable that Ticketmaster would keep my, are you ready for this? $1,000. Whoa. I know. And so he wants to know, how do you apply pressure? So Ticketmaster has been through an odyssey where at first they told people to go pound sand and then Ticketmaster said they were going to start making refunds. And then they decided they were going to play hardball with people again. And Ticketmaster is a company that I have despised for more years than I can even count. They take off a huge chunk of the money, you know, in the fees you're charged that have no relationship to the actual cost of delivering the service. It's only because of the monopoly they enjoy. And they are behaving so terribly now that it would actually require action by the courts or by the Congress to force Ticketmaster to refund people's money. If you think about it, the federal government has required the airlines to make refunds to people. There are various industries that have been pressured through various actions to make refunds. Ticketmaster has so far escaped that kind of scrutiny, but hopefully there will be pressure applied either from lawsuits or from legal, from actions by the Congress that will force Ticketmaster to do the right thing. I wish I had a stronger tool for you to fight back against Ticketmaster, and the only other suggestion that I've heard is that you sue them in small claims court for your money. Odds are that Ticketmaster will, if a great number of people start suing them in small claims court, it will outrun Ticketmaster's ability to defend all those suits. Uh, Ticketmaster, if I recall, has an arbitration requirement, but they would have to defend themselves in order to be able to enforce that. But this is a company that is a rogue company. They have misbehaved forever. And this is going to be a boxing match with no gloves on. Today's Clark Rave shows how people don't forget sometimes where they came from and do what they can to help people that they've moved on from. This is about Love Beyond Walls. And I don't know if you've heard about it. They've gotten a fair amount of publicity in this era of coronavirus. But it was started by a guy named Terrence Lester, who had been homeless as a teenager. Now, as an adult, uh, he remembered the hardships he faced. And he thinks about what people might experience as homeless where having access to basic sanitation is so difficult. And you hear over and over again during coronavirus how we got to wash our hands, wash our hands, wash our hands. Well, the homeless don't have access to that, and they're much more vulnerable to getting coronavirus as a result. Well, Love Beyond Walls has partnered with people around the country and now has installed washing stations for the homeless in cities scattered all around the country. And this is one of those kinds of things that 
I mean, it would never occur to me because I've never lived a tough life. But someone who, as a teenager, was out there in the streets, knew the difficulty and has done something about it. And so this is one of those efforts that will reduce the outbreak of coronavirus and will save lives and save lives for a population that so many of us don't witness in our daily lives and don't really know the hardships. So good for Terrence and good for all those who've joined him around the country to create this safer environment for the homeless. Wonderful to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you having ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And, you know, I've talked over the years about people who own their own businesses, and people who have uh, mid-sized businesses need to be aware of something that big companies have been into for a good while, and that's having cyber insurance. And I can tell you it's a slog to buy it. You know, when I had to buy it for my company, the number of questions you have to answer and the number of procedures you have to put in place is quite involved. But I think about the businesses that end up getting hacked and basically can be put out of business because of what the hackers are able to do and the systems they're able to shut down, the data they're able to steal, and all the rest. Well, right now, we have an additional complication, and that is people that are working at home who would normally be working in an office. And I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal that insurers are freaking out about people working from their own home, on their own computer, on their own internet connection, and the massive vulnerabilities that's created for employers being able to secure their data and their networks with people working remotely. So you're going to find that insurers are going to require new things of you if you extend having employees work from home. And know that if you have not bought cyber insurance for your business and you have people working remotely, know that the exponential danger to your business being hacked, uh, having hit, being hit with ransomware where they shut down your systems, you don't have access to your customer data, your own data, anything like that, this is like absolutely serious stuff. So... You need to be aware, and I'm sure there are companies that are having people work remotely that will face such challenges from their insurer that they may have employees come back sooner than they would have originally intended because of the risks involved. Now, something else you should consider is are you being cheap when you have your employees use their own computer at home. If you, in fact, gave your employee a computer that you very limited how it would be used, that it couldn't be used for any personal things, and you're using a, a VPN, a virtual private network, 
the risk to your business being hacked into is reduced. It's not eliminated, but it is reduced. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, when we when we went into the thing where the roughly 30% of people who could work from home were sent home by employers, and now employers are trying to figure out, well, what's next? Insurers also are trying to figure out what they're going to require of you, and the more you're prepared, the easier it's going to be for you to get or renew your policy. And tell you one other thing. Do not do sensitive personal things on the same computer you're now using to work remotely for your employer. Because you never know when your employer puts on a program to track what you're up to, and it could end up costing you your job. So be very, very cautious in what sites you go to, what things you do on the computer you're also using for work. Uh, your questions that you post at clark.com slash ask have been fantastic. And I appreciate the many, many thousands of you that continue to post questions. And we, we look through and see what things we're getting a lot of questions on and make sure that we get those answered. And Kim and Joel or asking your questions for you. Who's next? Clark, I am, and Joseph in Arkansas has a question. He says, I just sold my house and planned on paying off the remainder of my $27,000 in student loan debt. Is now a good time with the potential stimulus providing loan forgiveness, or should I wait it out? Well, I mean, you're talking about just months versus a student loan that'll be great to be rid of. So if you want to, you could wait till September to pay off that loan since no interest is accruing right now. But from a practical standpoint, the interest you're earning on that 27000 is so teensy tiny at today's interest rates that I would say go ahead and get a payoff and sometime in the next while, go ahead and pay that off and know that you are done forever with that student loan debt. Kim? Jose in Texas says, I'm looking into buying landlords rental dwelling insurance for a property that I own. I've looked around on your website, but I couldn't find any guides. Do you have any advice for me? That is a wonderful question. And what this is, is when you own a rental property, the liability risks are different than they are for a personal residence. And the coverage you need in some ways is not as extensive as a landlord because unless you're renting a furnished place, I mean, you don't need to furnish possessions. And so if you call normal homeowners insurers, many do quote landlord policies. And you also can look for a local real estate investors club. They're all over the country. Look for one near you. Just do a search with whatever search engine you use, Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever, and put in uh, where you are, the, the city name or county name, um, investor real estate investors club. See if there is one. And then at their website, there are insurers that advertise and brokers for insurance that advertise 
that specialize in insurance for landlords. And you're likely to find it that way. Producer Joel, who has five rental properties, shops this market very thoroughly. And do you have any other suggestions that I have not mentioned? I don't think so. Yeah, just yeah, check with as many um, companies as you can and yeah, make sure you're looking at the total cost of your overall insurance. That's that's huge because you might get a great deal on one part, uh, on the landlord policies in particular, but then that same insurance company might make your, your homeowner's insurance cost an arm and a leg. Okay, and Joel, I think you're next. All right, yeah, Clark Jordan in Oklahoma says, wait a second, Clark, on a recent show, you just mentioned that you got $28 running shoes. I pay more than that for my New Balance shoes, and I hate shelling out that amount of money so frequently for my wife and I. So do you have any other tips to save money on running shoes? So what I do is if there's a running shoe I know that I've really liked, I go on eBay, and there are any of a number of people that are selling running shoes. I don't know for what reason. Um, There are a lot of people selling used running shoes. I ignore those. (laughs) only buy new ones but there are uh, for any brand you want particularly a lot of people who are runners love brooks and brooks running shoes are very very expensive they limit where they can be sold and so the prices are quite high if you have a, a desire to run in brooks you've been running in brooks and there's a brooks uh, particular model that you really like you'll typically find them for sale on eBay at a lot lower price. And how they all end up there, don't exactly know. And I'm always on the lookout to, as best I can determine, that I'm not buying stolen shoes. But I have saved a fortune buying additional pair. I don't like to buy running shoes that I don't know have been good for me, have been comfortable for me. Uh, you know, the sizes can differ. So I repeat purchase a particular style and model that I know has worked well for me. And I, I found a uh, Saucony that I really enjoy wearing. In fact, they're on my feet right now that I was able to buy for 28 bucks. Kim? Anna in Arizona says, I was advised by my employer that they'll be providing a safe harbor contribution to my 401k 2020 plan. What does this exactly mean for me? So typically a safe harbor matching contribution is when an employer provides a match to you either most typically 100% of the first three and then a 50% match on Usually the next, um, uh, what is it typically? I think it's 3 to 5% maybe right in there. And so when an employer does a match, it helps them get enough people participating where the insiders at a company do not have their 401k contributions disallowed. The law is set up to encourage widespread participation in 401ks and in a lot of employer groups, lower compensated employees don't participate by the employer offering the match. It tends to cause participation rates to skyrocket and uh, basically that's where your employer is doing. I hope that makes enough sense. Joel? 
Clark Petia in Georgia says, we recently received our annual notice of assessment for our home. It indicates a higher assessed value and higher estimate for our taxes. Considering the current COVID-19 situation and the projected hardships for the economy and the real estate market, should we appeal the tax assessment? We believe the value reflects pre-COVID conditions, but not current ones. So what's your take? So this is good news and bad news. Generally around the country, real estate values have held. In fact, in many communities in the country, real estate values have actually risen. And there were a lot of people who were predicting a collapse in the value of homes. That would only occur if we ended up in another Great Depression. The, even though the employment loss has been so intense with roughly a quarter of American workers unemployed right now, the reality is this is not going to be a problem that lingers for a huge number of years like caused real estate values to decline during the Great Depression back in the 30s. So we did not go into the coronavirus economic decline with housing being overvalued and too much inventory like we did in 2007. So I don't think you're going to see the value of your home or those in your neighborhood decline by any meaningful amount over any long period of time. The reason to appeal is if the value that your local jurisdiction is assigned to your home is greater than the true market value of that home. And if that's not really true, then even though you're going to pay more tax, the good news is that your home is worth more money. On the other hand, if they have an inflated value, that's the grounds for you to appeal. Kim? Pam in Ohio says, which airline is currently the safest bet to book? And by safest, I mean as in the flight's not going to get canceled and it's not going to be too crowded. So as to what's going to be the least crowded, for the most part, planes so far have not been crowded because people are choosing in overwhelming numbers not to fly. That will change as people get more confidence. I've been reading that people are starting to book more, nothing like historical numbers, but booking more. So I can't give you a sense of that. On who is least likely to cancel flights that you book because of the extremely unusual nature of Southwest Airlines route system that is not based on hubs, Southwest has to keep a plane on its route because of they're almost like milk runs, the, the odd routings they go around the country, rather than an out and back to a particular hub, Southwest, because of the way it's designed, will be of the nine major airlines in the United States, will be the least likely to do last-minute cancellations. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you have a question for me, please post it at Clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel ask your questions. And Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark, this one's from Jesse in North Carolina. He says, I've lived in my home for two years with a 30-year mortgage. Does it make sense to refinance into a new 30-year mortgage if I'm planning to move out in two years or less and then rent that home out? Also, what's going to make it easier to finance a second home purchase? Okay, that's a lot to digest here. So if you're going to live in it two more years and then turn it into a rental property, I would still look at you as a more conventional refi candidate because if you're going to keep the property for an extensive period of time, you can look at a longer payback on the refi than normal. I like 30 months. If you can make up the cost and what your carry is going to be on that mortgage that you pay to do the refi in two and a half years, then I think it's worth doing. And I don't know what your rate was that you got two years ago when you took out this loan, but if you have enough movement in that rate, if you, your existing rate is above four and you've got good credit, you likely would be able to get a lower enough rate to be able to make it work for you to cover the costs of redoing that loan in the next two and a half years. And then you'd have it going forward. On a second home, if you're talking about you will buy a home to be your principal residence next in a couple of years, when you're buying a principal residence, you will qualify for a loan like an original borrower. So only if you buy a home to live in later that you are subject to stricter conditions and a higher interest rate on taking out a loan for that. Kim? CT in Georgia wants to know, in your opinion, what's the best video doorbell? Well, unless you're part of an ecosystem where you're installing various cameras and all that, to me, the best video doorbell is the cheapest, look very closely, not at the cost of the doorbell up front, but the ongoing monitoring cost or software cost that they charge you for it. Some don't charge that. And I should tell you that WISE, the WISECAM people, are planning to introduce a video doorbell. And when they come out with theirs, it will be the cheapest out there. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.